Sound the Klaxon. Welcome everyone to the first episode of season three of the Northern Spin podcast. I'm Michael Taylor. I'm a journalist, I'm a politico, and I'm the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest. As always, I'm joined by the executive editor of Business Cloud, Happy Clappy, Mr. Positive, Only Good News, Chris Maguire. That's me, thank you. I'm starting to like that title. It is definitely Good News Week uh, this week uh, as we embark on the third series of Northern Spin. I was looking for some stats, Michael, that I could uh, share with our listeners. Our downloads are up 78% in the last 30 days. Our subscribers uh, are up 30%. So if you've not subscribed to Northern Spin, please just press that button. It makes such a difference as well. I was looking at the heat map as well of where people download our podcast. And there's heat marks all over the world as far afield as the US, Australia, New Zealand, Bahrain as well. But we couldn't do it on our own. No, absolutely, Chris. And it all starts with our producers, What Media. What Media have also recently won a clutch of new contracts with Lunio, Web3 Specialist Roster, and Intergalactic Gaming. As well as working around the world, they share our belief that Northern Spin is the point of them partnering with us. Absolutely. I can't speak highly enough about those guys. No, absolutely. They they don't, uh, they feel like friends to us as they uh, look at us right now. They feel more like friends. So delighted to have them on board as I am our sponsors as well. Oscar Technology and Lily Shippen have committed not just to today's podcast, but to sponsor our entire third series of Northern Spin. Um, we'll talk about Lily Shippen in part two, but I'm going to make a rare serious point now. Integrity, which is going to be a theme of today's podcast, is, a, is something that we both value um, and there are certain sponsors that we just wouldn't work with. Uh, the thing with Oscar is they're not just a great company in terms of recruitment, uh, but the way they look after their staff and the way they involve themselves in a the community just shines through. 21 of their UK leaders have just been on a training course in France, while they've also won a clutch of awards in the last week, including CEO Andy Morell, Marple resident, winning CEO of the year for the second time. So here, here to that. They've just, uh, their core values shine through. On Friday, they were the main sponsors for Friday's Forever Manchester Party. 2023 and we are delighted that they've chosen to sponsor Northern Spin. Fantastic. Chris, I just want to start this week by talking about honesty and integrity, particularly in politics, because I think a lot's happened in the last week and I think it's really important that, you know, maybe people listening to the podcast just have a think. It's, politics isn't just theatre, it's not a game, it's not some sort of reality TV show. It's actually the serious business of running the world and making critical decisions and I don't think that was any more pronounced this week than with the visit to this country of President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine. There's also been an earthquake in Syria. I heard David Miliband, the uh, the head of international rescue on the radio this morning, talking about how difficult it is to get through contested border areas in Syria. People not only struggling under the, the under the war that's been waged by the Assad regime and the and their their Russian partners and also ISIS and various different factions around that part of the world. Terrible, terrible times that people have to maybe just come together. And I think last week we saw a real consensus that, yes, the country has to pull in behind Ukraine and, yes, do whatever we can to alleviate the suffering in parts of Turkey and Syria. They've been the top talking points in politics. But, but within all of that, We've had a couple of really unpleasant toxic interventions, which I want to talk about this week. One of them is from someone that you have often said that you quite like and that you find refreshing, which I find surprising, and that's Lee Anderson, who's been made Deputy Chairman of the Conservative Party. We've also heard this week from Suala Braverman again, who issued a terrible reaction to a near riot outside a hotel in Knowsley, Merseyside, where 
asylum seekers are living by saying, and I'm going to quote her accurately, so I don't paraphrase, I condemn the appalling disorder in Nosley last night. Okay. The alleged behaviour of some asylum seekers is never an excuse for violence and intimidation. Thank you to Mersey police officers for keeping everyone safe. Chris, for me, that language is right up there with Trump saying there were fine people on both sides after the riots in Charlottesville where a woman was killed. Last week as well, we're talking about integrity in politics. We saw Jared O'Mara, former Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam, jailed for four years for fraud over his expense claims. There'd been more revelations in the Sunday papers this weekend about David Warburton, a conservative MP who's alleged to have taken cocaine and he's now been investigated by the Sunday Times for falsifying a mortgage application. And then finally, a little bit closer to home, we've seen a brilliant investigation by the Liverpool Echo newspaper revealing 14 current and former Labour politicians in Liverpool who had 51 penalty charge notices for parking. So basically, they got they made their parking tickets go away over a five-year period using formal processes. So we're going to talk about all of those three in a little bit more detail. But what was your first experience of dishonesty in politics, Chris? Um, what I'll say, Michael, just to um, doff my cap to you, is that if people listen to that speech you've just given, that's what politics should be about. It should be about um, it should be about doing the right thing. Um, in terms of David Warburton, he is a conservative. He's had the conservative whip removed from him while he's investigated. Um, he's not admitted the allegations as well, albeit the pictures uh, don't do him any favours as well. In terms of Suella Braverman's response to Home Secretary. I think it was mealy mouth. It was it was uh, playing to the uh, right wing of the party as well, and uh, I think the pictures that we've seen from the earthquake scenes in Turkey and Syria were, were absolutely heartbreaking and devastating as well. It's interesting that, that that a lot of the focus has been on Turkey because they haven't got the same access to Syria, but the problem's probably a lot worse than Syria. So absolutely horrendous scenes all around. I'm going to take you back a bit, actually. This is my first experience, about 30 years. I used to play cricket, as you know, I still do, but I used to play for a team in Kent called Sandwich. And, um, and back then, I don't know what his role was, but I think he was like the honorary president. There was a guy, um, a conservative MP, a local MP called Jonathan Aitken, and he'd regularly pop down to the club and have a chat with the players, including myself. Now, just to describe this guy, if you don't know him, he's immaculately dressed. His hair was always perfectly quiffed, um, very well spoken, very suave, tipped to be a future prime minister as well. But the story goes that uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher didn't like him because um, he made his uh, her daughter, Carol, cry. Um, anyway, he became the Minister of State for Defence and Procurement under John Major's government. And then The Guardian did a big front page story in 1995 accusing Aitken of being up to no good with the Saudis. It followed a lengthy investigation uh, by the paper and also a TV programme called World in Action. Now, when they wouldn't withdraw the claims, and check this out on YouTube, I watched it again over the weekend, he organised a press conference and he said, and I quote, that he would, quote, start a fight to cut out the cancer of bent and twisted journalism in our country with the simple sword of truth. Now, to be honest with you, I love a good actor, but to say that when you know you're bang to rights is phenomenal. Uh, it was a great big line subsequently jailed in 1999 uh, for 18 months for admitting perjury and perverting the course of justice. What was really unpleasant is he involved his then wife and one of his daughters uh, in his, uh, you know, in his defence. A funny thing is, Jonathan Aitken is now Reverend Jonathan Aitken. He's now an ordained minister. You wouldn't believe it, would you? <laughs> so hold on a minute, Chris. So <clears throat> I asked you, what's your experience of corruption in politics? And basically, you once met Jonathan Aitken. Is that it? No, I met him at least three times. <laughs> 
So listen, that is the thing. It is a great tale. Um, World in Action, by the way, the reporting team was based here in in Manchester at Granada TV, run by a guy called Ray Fitzwalter, real um, legend of uh, of, of um, journalism. Anyway, but here's the thing. That was really bad, right? And he got jailed for it. And I don't doubt the sincerity for a moment that he's been on a journey of forgiveness and redemption. He's done a lot of campaigning for prisoners' rights. Fair play to him. Um, But that sort of thing has just become normalised now, yeah? When you think about the corruption scandals and the scale of them under Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, well, let's not say Liz Truss. She wasn't around long enough. But the scale of the scandals under Boris Johnson, phenomenal. Peter Mandelson, right, had to resign from the Labour government in 1998 because of a mortgage application where he hadn't declared where all his funds had come from because his mate Geoffrey Robinson, MP, had lent him some money for the deposit. Now, this isn't me throwing that into the mix as a tit-for-tat Labour for Tory, but it is an illustration that for that sort of um, scandal now just... People just brush it aside. But it was a major thing that that caused the resignation of one of the most senior figures in the government at the time. It's about a plummeting of standards that ideological loyalty promotes a blindness to the obvious. Boris Johnson's got a charge sheet, as long as your arm, for far more serious questions to answer on his own personal finances, his sexual conduct, procuring of government contracts, lying to colleagues, lying to his wives, lying to parliament, hanging out with Russian oligarchs, um, slipping away from his security detail, putting his friends in powerful positions like chairman of the BBC. I mean, Chris, come on. Normally, when we go through the script and you come out with some of your comments, I always write, stick the word alleged in, you know, um, you know say, Boris, if you want to defend yourself. No. But everything you say is true. Yeah, they're, they're the charges that are going to be brought up by, um, by the Standards Committee in the House of Commons that he's trying to wriggle out of and draw down £200,000 of public money to defend himself. But let's bring this story right up to date and talk about the Conservative MP for Ashfield in Nottinghamshire, not quite northern, but he sounds northern, Lee Anderson, who's been appointed Deputy Chairman of the Conservative Party. I want to talk about the tone and language of campaigning in light of those shocking scenes outside a Merseyside Asylum Seeker Hotel. But I also want to explain what Lee Anderson's been up to first. Do you want to take over? Absolutely. He's been up to everything, really. So, And I want to make the point at the outset that we we broadly agree, okay? We believe that politics must do better. Um, it's it's embarrassing what's happening. And that's from all sides of the uh, you know political persuasion. Um, so this isn't political. Uh, this, is, this is a general comment as well. In terms of uh, Anderson... He's not my mate. He's not my mate. But I do genuinely think he comes across as authentic. And you I think like that's him. something. That's I think I think that's something that the Conservative Party have missed out on a, a long time. But we'll come back to that. Oh dear. So this video, and we won't agree on that. No, let's be honest, we won't agree on that. So this video is resurfaced by Michael Quick, the uh, political journalist, which shows Lee Anderson doorstepping a constituent uh, friend during the 2019 general election, endorsing Anderson's policy initiative to put antisocial people into tents. I mean, this does sound like something from the thick of it. Um, so what's really funny is watch the video. So the, so he knocks on the door. 
sound effect, this guy answers, he's called Steve. Um, and what happens, he says, he mentions this, he says, I think you should go a step further than you've gone, he said to uh, Lee Anderson. I'd give him the cat of nine tails. That's what he says. I'd make him wear a pink tutu. At which point, Lee Anderson, you know, bows his head and said he couldn't support such a view. Now, that's all well and good. The problem is that Anderson had his microphone on when he was setting the call up with Steve before they knocked on the door. So rather than be like a spontaneous doorstep interview, it wasn't, it was all set up. Um, the video resurfaced this week and he was interviewed on BBC Radio Nottingham where he refused to discuss the video. I think he was asked 10 times by the presenter Verity Cowley, who I thought was excellent, incidentally. And and uh, he insisted that the whole 11-minute video, or the whole 11-minute interview was played, otherwise he wouldn't uh, do any more interviews. Well, what did it, you think? It was worse than that, Chris. He, he wasn't asked if he'd lied. He, she asked him, you've now been made Deputy Chairman of the Conservative Party. It's a fair question to ask you about your integrity and she cited that incident that you described so colourfully, where he basically got one of his mates to pretend to just be an ordinary member of the public that he randomly bumped into. The 10 times reference was him asking her if she'd ever lied. She's a journalist asking a politician questions, right? Nothing wrong with that, particularly relating to his integrity. And he's saying, have you ever told a lie, Verity? Have you ever told a lie? And he kept chipping away at her. You're a lie. And then she said, well, you know, sometimes you just have to say things to, you know, make not hurt people's feelings. So you've admitted it and you're a liar, right? right we got that. I just think, I just thought, what a bully. What an absolute arse. <laughs> if you listen to the whole thing and she then, she, you know, she brings up the video and he has an absolute hissy fit trying to bully her. Uh, it's dreadful. He doesn't try to defend his actions. Instead, he turns on her. And when... And when he, then he threatens with cutting her off from any access. Now, you know, you've been a local newspaper journalist. Yeah. Access is everything, yeah? He's a prominent local MP. He's just been made chairman of, vice chairman of the Tory party. And, you know, you look back at the kind of reporting that she's been doing about there's been a massive NHS crisis in Nottingham. People have died. She's a really decent reporter. And he's made the classic mistake that Liz Truss made of underestimating local BBC journalists and trying to bully them. Just to come back to my point about language, he uses his newfound platform this week to raise the issue of the death penalty. No one executed was ever a repeat offender, he said. Ho, ho, ho. This is him stretching the debate creating the dividing lines and blowing his dog whistle. That awful Donald Trump type race to the bottom in the guise of being common sense and saying it like it is. His other comments about travellers, his friendship with Nazi scooter club members, it's all about sending a message and cementing his position as a voice of the thick right. So that video, frankly, I'm Chris, very entertaining as it was, is pretty much old news in the context of Lee Anderson. What's actually followed is far, far worse. Do you still think he's a great guy? Well, I don't think he's a great guy, but I never did think he was a great guy. What I do think is I think he is an asset for the Conservative Party at a time when they desperately need to try and cut through. Now, I listened to the whole 11-minute interview with BBC but, but Radio cost? Nottingham. Well, and actually, I just want to give the BBC some credit as well, because they basically said, we are going to play the whole interview. They put the whole interview out there and encouraged people to listen to the whole 11 minutes, which I did. But, but I'm not for part of it, he insisted. He said, I oh, know you sneaky journalist. You'll chop and cut it up and you won't run the whole thing. I insist you run the whole thing. And she didn't have the authority to say that live on the... She said she'd have to have a look at it. But then 
Yeah, they did play the whole thing. After he did, he then said, I withdraw my consent to you using this interview. There's two issues. He's a, he's a bully. That's there's, what he is, Chris. There's two issues here. There's one which is that interview and that video. And the other one is whether or not his appointment as deputy chair of the Conservative Party was a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not condoning what he did over the video. I'm not condoning his heavy-handed tactics in terms of the interview. Um, knocking on doors, incidentally, is stage-managed, always has been. So there's nothing new in that, really. He just got caught out. It's actually quite amusing. Except so, when it's Gordon Brown with Gillian Duffy, but he knows yeah. a thing or two about leaving his microphone no, on No, absolutely. As well. No, absolutely. In Rochdale. Now, talking about the wider point of his appointment, I think Rishi Sunak's got this real problem of trying to engage in red wall seats in the north. Uh, he knows the toys are behind in the polls, so he has to take a gamble, and he is a massive gamble. I think we can see the way this is going to play out. At some point in the future, Lee Anderson's going to put his foot in it, and he's going to resign. But hopefully by then, he'll have uh, you know stored a few uh, brownie points up. Now, you might disagree about the return of capital punishment, food banks, small boat crossings, but he is getting cut through with the public. I listened to the whole 11-minute interview on BBC Radio Nottingham, not just a stuff about the video and he issued a challenge to find someone on £32,500 who uses a food bank and he'll help them. He's basically said he doesn't believe everybody who's on £30,000 needs a food bank. Uh, you have to understand where he comes from as well and this is why I think he's quite authentic. He uh, he brought his kids up, he says as a single parent, I've got no, no reason to disbelieve that, he used to budget, he, uh, he like my own dad was a minor, he speaks about raising his sons as a single parent and, and having to put £5 in a gas meter on a Sunday night and watching the meter go around all week you know my my grandparents I, I remember them putting money in meters as well um i don't like a lot of the things that he says but give me lee anderson any day over the week any any day of the week over over a plastic politician like liz truss or boris johnson and that unfortunately shows how bar how how how, how low the bar is for our wow. politicians really is that it really yeah absolutely <laughs> I guess you probably thought Donald Trump was a fresh voice in politics as well. Then think he's horrendous. Case. Think Donald Trump is horrendous. <laughs> what about how he spoke to Verity Cowley, though, a serious journalist, or his comments on the death penalty? So I started this section because I think language and tone is important, and I think this lot seem not to care. I don't think Rishi Sunak cares, or he wouldn't keep Suella Breverman in post. If he cared, he wouldn't promoted Lee Anderson. I think it's going to end in tears. I think he's going to get caught out talking about some something else or some other group of people at some point because he's playing to the mob. Because politics, as they see it, isn't a serious way to tackle genuine concerns and big systemic issues in society, which we're facing at the moment in a country that doesn't work. He's just looking to try to blame people and scapegoat them and create these straw men arguments. Who, who's arguing that there's somebody on £32,000 a year who who is using a food bank. He's confecting this to shift the goalposts to just say, oh, no, people using food banks are just useless and can't cook. Again, he's, he's, he's deflecting. So come on, Trumpy. <laughs> I'm now Trumpy, am I? Um, yeah, I mentioned before, I thought Verity Cowley was excellent. And I also think it's right that politicians challenge journalists as well. Journalists ask leading questions. I hate it when journalists say to politicians, how much is a loaf of bread at the local supermarket? They're trying to catch them out. I think it's fair enough that uh, Verity Cowley had a table turned on her and she's asked a question. However, did uh, Lee Anderson go too far? So you yes. think that is acceptable? I think it's acceptable to a point. I think he went too far because he then laboured the point. It's, it's, not, it's not her job to be 
be accountable to the public in the way that he is as a politician. There was interviews before where I remember, I can't remember the name of the BBC journalist, was asked a question, how much money do you earn? And they said, £92,500. You know, they asked the question. Um, I think what he did, like I say, in terms of, you know, journalists at the end of the day have to have a thick skin and be able to answer questions. But what he did is he used it as a deflection tactic. I don't, I don't think she had a thin skin, Chris. I don't think that's... No, I think she was, I think, I think she was excellent. And I'm not saying she had a thin skin, but I think, I think journalists generally have to be able to stand up for themselves and she did so congratulations to her the point i'd make as well this isn't party political this isn't tories versus labor i didn't like it when angela rayner described the conservatives as homophobic racist misogynist uh, um home so i'll read it again homophobic racist misogynistic scum um that was in 2021 she apologized but only after the conservative mp sir david amos had been stabbed to death now just for sake of clarity, I am not saying she was to blame for what happened to Sir David Amos. Absolutely not. But her language was wrong. The language of politicians like Rayner, Braverman, Anderson, it's wrong. They have to show more respect. That's what I think. Yeah, I'm not going to try and defend Angela Rayner's comments or, put, or even attempt to put them into context. And she has quite rightly uh, said that it was inappropriate for her to have done so. Even speaking to a home audience of Labour voters, what... She's withdrawn from that. What I see with Braverman this week and what I see with Lee Anderson is they want to accelerate and this race to the bottom on how we speak about one another. I think they'd love it if Angela Rayner did that sort of thing again because it just plays to a stereotype. Um, anyway, let's move on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to talk about Jared O'Mara, former Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam, jailed for four years for fraud. Just to recap, he um, submitted false allegations to fund his cocaine habit. He was a terrible MP. Uh, apparently only spoke three times during 29, uh, 29 months as an MP. He wasn't expected, that was at the House of Commons, um, he obviously spoke more than three times in 29 months. He wasn't expected to beat Nick Clegg in the election, so uh, reportedly wasn't even interviewed as part of the MP selection process, was given just seven Seven weeks notice at the general election. Now you once stood as a Labour candidate in 2015, so you can provide some insight, I think, into the selection process. But how on earth did somebody like Jared O'Mara, who was so ill-equipped to be an MP, become a Labour MP? Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's a good way of trying to, to look at what's happened here. So the election of 2017, if you remember, was a snap election called by Theresa May to try and wipe out the Labour Party and give her a mandate for her type of Brexit and her type of One Nation Toryism. Because if you remember, David Cameron had resigned. She was almost coronated as the leader of the Tory party, but she was having all sorts of trouble getting Brexit through. Um, now, I'd, as you say, Chris, I'd been a Labour candidate in my home constituency of Hazel Grove in 2015. And I was genuinely quite depressed about the Corbyn leadership. But I was asked in 2017, despite everything I'd already said about Jeremy Corbyn, all the, you know, I, I signed up to a former candidate's petition, you know, to get him to resign in 2016 under the, the coup, as it was called at the time. Um, but I was asked straight up by Northwest Region whether I'd do it again in Hazel Grove. They were just scrambling around for anybody who'd been a candidate before. And if I'd said yes, I'd have been a shoe in But I said no. But I remember Oliver Coppard, who had run Nick Clegg quite close in Sheffield Hallam in 2015, um, he said he wasn't up for it either. Uh, we actually <laughs> issued quite similar statements. He just said, you know, things like, you know, the leadership, Jeremy Corbyn, life, not now, new things, want to do something else. That then created a problem for Labour in Sheffield Hallam, where they'd done quite a lot of work to try to unseat Nick Clegg, but had just come up a little bit short. And 
the leadership basically at the time in the Labour Party had one criteria for candidate selection, and that was loyalty to Jeremy Corbyn. So Jared won unexpectedly. Labour did better in the 2017 election, again, unexpectedly. And that's where the problems really started. He wasn't vetted and all kinds of past indiscretions started coming out. Eventually, it all completely unraveled. It was actually, I think, on reflection, quite unfair on him to have been put forward by Momentum in Sheffield Hallam to be their guy because he quite clearly wasn't kind of emotionally and intellectually equipped to, to be a Labour MP. Yeah, no, I agree. I, th yeah. I, I agree. I actually, feel quite, I actually feel quite sorry for him because you watch some of the interviews that he did and he wasn't equipped to be an MP. He should never have been put up as a candidate. No, and I think, I think he, that's why they are taking such a close eye yeah. on the selection process now. Now, one thing we also both agree on in the last week as well, Chris, was about fantastic journalism by Liam Thorpe of the Liverpool Echo. Tell us what's been happening in Liverpool. Yeah, he's a great, um, he's a great guy, uh, Liam Thorpe. I met him recently at the uh, convention for the North. Interesting thing about Liam Thorpe, not really relevant to politics, but he recently nearly lost his eyesight. Um, he had like a detached retina or something. Check it out. It's really interesting what happened to him. But top, top journalism. He didn't take his eye off this for sure. He conducted a 16th month investigation and found that 14, I mean, that's 16 months it took him to, to, to uncover the truth. And he is like a rock violin when it comes to trying to find the truth. He found 14 Cohen and former Labour politicians in Liverpool had 51 penalty charge notices for parking rescinded by council offices over a five-year period using, uh, you know, without using formal processes. It's worth making a point here as well that everybody knows Liverpool is a you know, exclusively Labour stronghold. And it's not, 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 not uh, you know, and if you look at Liam's Twitter feed, Liam is very, very critical of a lot of the stuff that the Conservatives do. That's why I think it is so important that, that he as a journalist exposes Labour as well. So he can be seen to be completely even-handed. Now, of those 51 uh, penalty charge notices that were rescinded, one councillor, former Deputy Mayor Anne O'Byrne, had a total of 17 parking tickets rescinded in that time period. Another former Cabinet member, Barry Kushner, had seven thrown out. Now, you can read their explanations, and they've all given their explanations uh, on the Liverpool Echo website, but a lot of the blame, or they attach a lot of the blame, to a former senior council officer called Andy Barr, no longer there, who rejects what they say. Now, what it, what it is from my perspective, it smells as though it's one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us. I looked at Anne O'Byrne's Twitter account. In fact, I looked at it today. Monday, having looked at it over the weekend, there is no reference, no reference at all on a timeline to this controversy. It's like she can brush it under the carpet. It's absolutely despicable. Now, the uh, government commissioners are currently involved in Liverpool City Council because they're not happy with the way it's been run. There's an interim chief executive called Theresa Grant, who I like, used to be at Trafford Council. She said it showed an unacceptable culture. I think it's absolutely outrageous. I think Liam Thorpe has done a fantastic job. Uh, and I don't think we've heard the end of this. I think this will be weaponized against the Labour Party. Well, I take my hat off to Liam. He's done a top job there. And I agree with what Theresa Grant says, that it's an unacceptable culture because something quite clearly is rotten in the kingdom of Liverpool. And with that, we're going to go to our first interval. Welcome back to the second part of Northern Spin. As you mentioned earlier, our sponsors at Oscar and Lily Shippen have committed to sponsor the entire third season of the podcast. And you heard it firsthand this week 
Chris, what difference is Lily Shippen making to businesses in the north? Yeah, that's right. Um, just by way of background, Lily Shippen recruit for a range of roles across business support, HR, including executive assistants, HR managers, uh, personal assistants, and many, many more. Now, I'm not going to name names, but I was speaking to the founder of a business in the north this last week who's working with a PA from Lily Shippen, and she's already got him and his business working so much more efficiently and got him working and changing his lifestyle as well. And he doesn't look at his investment in Lily Shippen's uh, now as a how much money is it costing but rather how much money is it saving his business it's been transformational well if you're an md a ceo or a business leader in the north remember the name lily shippen um now i want to before we go into on maneuvers i want to get uh, your take on a number of uh, big political stories uh, of the last week it's a whistle stop tour we're going to call <coughs> it anything to see here um because otherwise we'll spend uh, you know three hours talking about Rishi Sunak we don't want to do that so story number one Labour's Ashley Dalton won West Lancashire by-election with a 10.5 percent swing from the Tories Labour have held the seat since 1992 so anything to see here Michael well the turnout to be fair in a winter by-election was about half that in a general election so it's quite difficult to extrapolate swings of 10%, which is what Labour achieved in that election, as you said. Much as Labour would like to do, it doesn't necessarily signal clear evidence of a return to power. It doesn't prove the opposite either. But the collapse of the Tory vote to just 5,000 people in a constituency that actually has a hung council and plenty Conservative councillors, so they do have a ground game. It's not like they're completely absent from the, from the um, field altogether. It does point to a pretty low point for the Conservatives. So let me ask you one, Chris. Rishi Sunak announced a mini reshuffle, which saw Greg Hans named as the new Conservative Party and the creation of four new departments. Anything to see here? Yeah, absolutely. He took over as chairman. Um, it was a Rishi Sunak style reshuffle, i.e. it was a bit dull, probably took off his cashmere jumper to do it. I thought Greg Hans was, pardon the pun, a safe pair of hands, but there was a story over the weekend that a firm he referred won, won a £25.8 million coronavirus PPE contract. That could be perfectly above board, but he does need to be uh, very open and transparent about that. Clearly, there's a few politics at play. Um, what I didn't like, I looked at his Twitter feed over the weekend, and it was just embarrassing, talking about the fact that, you know, you're much safer in a Conservative seat than you are in a Labour seat as well. And, and what we've spoken about before, politicians have to rise above this. It's embarrassing. I think the creation of four new departments is interesting because they mirror Sunak's own priorities in terms of science, net zero, energy. A name to keep an eye on is uh, Kemi Badenoch. Her promotion to business secretary is interesting because she's tipped to be a future Tory leader. Don't be surprised to see if the Conservatives lose the next general election, um, Kemi Badenoch becomes the next um, Tory leader. Uh, were you excited by the reshuffle, Michael? I think no, you were. Um, well, I was. It was interesting. It was very Westminster sort of reshuffle. I think you're right. It was quite sort of technocratic, very Rishi Sunak. Um, I was at a round table with leaders from Manchester's tech sector as the news was being announced actually last week. We were supposed to have been joined in person by Paul Scully MP, a skills minister, but because of the shuffle, he joined us instead on Zoom from his office in Westminster, expecting the tap on the shoulder to be made justice secretary to take over from Dominic Rupp or something. What I took from it was, as you said, the reshaping of departments, moving energy into its own department that Grant Chaps is going to run, moving it out of bays. It was a reshuffle where no one actually lost their job, which was quite strange, um, creating a completely new department for business. Um, I think they're going to be dropping the, the words industrial strategy, which tells you everything you need to know about Rishi Sunak, moving science and digital into a new department, which you know many of the business leaders I spoke to last week seemed quite welcome 
Well, they would, wouldn't they? Because they're in science and digital. Some of the people I spoke to welcome that, as I said. But um, yeah, what about you? You like it? You must have been yeah, really I was, well, Good old Rishi, The eh? thing is, you watch it on Sky News and it comes up with that banner headline at the bottom and it said, you know, to announce a reshuffle. And Chris Mason, the BBC's political correspondent, I really like, you know, um, he he was trying to, you know, give a prediction. Everybody thought this was an opportunity potentially to like move Dominic Raab out, but obviously that's not happened. It was, um, I think it's a, it's just a, it's, if this was a chess game, all he's done is he's moved his pawn you know, uh, two moves. That's all he's done. This is not a big reshuffle, but it's just part of the bigger picture. Now, I want to throw another name at you. Uh, Ian Lavery, Labour MP in Wandsbeck in Northumberland. Now, Dan Needle, who we've mentioned before, he was a tax expert who helped bring down Nadim Zahawi over his tax affairs, has called on Mr Lavery to clarify his discussions with HMRC over almost £140,000 he received in payments and written off loans from his former employees at the Northumberland National Union of Mine workers. I'm interested in this for lots of reasons, you know, including the fact that my dad um, used to be a member of the NUM. Anything to see here, Michael? Yeah. Ian Lavery, he's a thug. I can't stand him. He's the worst type of union grifter. Out for himself, up the workers on one hand, but rinsing the union for his own feathered nest. Get him out. You say he's a thug. Mr. Lavery would almost certainly deny <clears throat> That's that. my interpretation of his behaviour. So, again, you were talking earlier about a video that Michael Crick made with Lee Anderson. He also made another one during the general election when Ian Lavery was the Labour Party chairman, and he's with him at a miners' rally up there in the in the northeast. And he's trying to physically intimidate Michael Crick in front of lots of other people and make him physically uncomfortable. And that was his reflection on his behaviour. I've seen his interviews. I, I, I see the way that he talks to people. Now, I stand by that comment. What I didn't understand was this, right? He had a senior job in the NUM and then he became a MP in 2010 and he got a redundancy package from the NUM. And he thinks to himself, well, hang on a minute. He's got a new job as a prime minister, uh, as an MP, not as a prime minister. That would be scary. Um, strong supporter of Jeremy Corbyn. And, and, and the NUM say, no, no, his position was made redundant. That's why he's got a redundancy payment for. I think the real problem he's got, and once again, I looked at his Twitter feed. He's made no, he's no, he's made no mention of this. This is something that Ian Lavery and the Labour Party generally cannot ignore. Dan Needle, he took Nadim Sahawi down. And if Ian Lavery thinks he can just ignore this, and the Labour Party think they can just ignore this as well... well well, this is why, Chris, Keir Starmer is, is running the selection processes for who gets to be a Labour MP with an absolute iron rod. Because what if, if it's a close run thing, if Labour win the election by a small margin, he needs the, he needs the awkward squad to be as small as possible. Now, he can't actually get rid of people like Ian Lavery, Diane Abbott. He's done his best to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn. There's a few others as well. He needs to reduce their influence and reduce their um, their take-up in the party. People wanted Lavery to stand for leader, you know. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, well, Mr. Lavery, if you want to come on Northern Spin to put your side of the story forward, you'd be very welcome. Right. Jennifer Williams at the Financial Times has done some brilliant work this week by revealing that the Treasury has banned capital spending by Michael Gove's levelling up department without permissions, raising concern that they won't be able to deliver any of their flagship policies. Micromanaging public spending and totally making a mockery of local control. 
this is a massive story and one that we can't devote too much time to in this particular podcast, but we'll come back to it. According to Jane Williams' story, the Treasury got twitchy after Gove's speech in Manchester a couple of weeks ago in which she announced £30 million to fund improvements to substandard housing. That was after the tragedy in Rochdale where a two-year-old died. Uh, we'll return to this in future pods, but the government has placed so much stock on levelling up. Gove is committed to this, so much so actually that apparently he turned down a new role as part of the reshuffle last week. Um, this suggests a watered-down levelling up. Yeah, well, part of the story was needing to sign off to pay for things as trivial as a park bench in Stockport. And this is not taking back control, is it? And it plays perfectly into the hands of the Metro mayors like Andy Burnham and Tracy Brabin, who have called for proper devolution and for Lisa Nandy's take back control bill that she's been touting quite successfully. Finally, Chris? Yeah, Nadine, Nadine Doris. Doris, MP for Mid-Bedfordshire. You like her, don't you? <laughs> well, Good old mad nad. Yeah, well, the thing is, uh, the thing is with her is uh, she came into politics quite late, um, but this is just a bit of a conspiracy theory as well because she announced on her talk show, remember her first interview on her new uh, TV talk show was with her mate Boris Johnson, and she's announced that she's not going to stand at the next general election in Mid-Bedfordshire. Um, no great surprise there, um, but there's a conspiracy theory. So she is a 24 4,000 seat majority and obviously a good mate Boris Johnson has a much thinner majority in Uxbridge and is rumoured to be wanting a safe seat. Now I'm just going to throw it out there. We know Johnson spends a lot of his time in beds not necessarily his own, could he be off to mid-beds? We see what he did there. <laughs> you see, I wrote that down, and when I wrote it, I thought that was quite funny, but uh, maybe it's not worked as well. We've spoken about some brilliant journalism this week um, by Liam Thorpe and Jen Williams, and uh, we're going to go at the opposite end of the scale now. Um, we're going to talk about the Daily Mail, because um, something that you've seen and, and you drew my attention to is horrendous. Yeah, the appalling murder, the murder of head teacher Emma Patterson and her daughter was covered by your old paper, as an appalling tragedy, speculating that the murderer was living in the shadow of his successful wife. It, Chris, I'm sorry, but it made me want to vomit. We've got an epidemic of male violence in our society, but not just this country, but worldwide. Most murders are men killing women who they know. On International Women's Day, which is coming up in March, Jess Phillips MP will once again read out the names of all the women in this country killed by men. Last year, it was 120, and they produce this trash. And that's what it is. And it proves an old trusty line that I've used time and time again when I've re reviewed newspapers on radio programmes that the only good woman in the Daily Mail is an unhappy one. Now, Chris, you used to work at the Daily Mail. Obviously, you're not going to defend something like that. I know how you feel about it. Yeah. But just give us some insights as to what's going on in that newsroom and that those sorts of why they do something like that. I would just call it about, about one thing. I think most murders, you said most murders are men killing women. I think most murders are probably men killing men, but clearly there are more murders, a lot more murders are men killing women than women killing men. So just for a state of, of clarity. Yeah, absolutely. It, you can't defend the indefensible. I spent 18 months at the Daily Mail. I was a shifter. Um, I looked at the story and what was really interesting is there was a lot of stuff on social media where there was a screen grab of that story. Interestingly, no byline on that as well. And that's really telling as well because 
what that basically says. So the story that appeared in the actual newspaper didn't have the name of the journalist next to it. So quite clearly, they recognised there was going to be some, um, you know, some some comeback to that headline. It was the headline was horrendous. The story itself wasn't much better, but the but the headline was was horrible. It was indefensible. Um, I think the only good to come out of it is that you know everybody's riled against it, and it's um, you know it's directed a lot of hate at that particular article as well. It was an horrendous story, and it was a it was a tragedy as well. Um, you know that that she should have been murdered, as was their their daughter as well. Um, it was yeah. a really sad story. Appalling. Um, I'm going to talk about on manoeuvres now. Yay! And um, and there's lots of uh, people on manoeuvres. Um, we don't always agree on this. Um, it's probably worth explaining your definition of on manoeuvres and my definition of on manoeuvres is quite different. I believe <laughs> I believe that on manoeuvres means that somebody's trying Doing to manoeuvre themselves, Doing their job into a better position. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you believe that on manoeuvres is what? Well, it, it's a little bit more dark arts. It's a little bit they're doing something, and what we're trying to do is you know, this podcast to provide insight is explaining what's behind those moves because it's not always as obvious. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's not, it's when things aren't quite as they appear. So let's give one example. Lee Drennan, he's Labour's, he's a Labour politician. Well, he's not really. He's a Labour activist who wants to be the Labour MP for Bolton Northeast. He wasn't shortlisted. He wasn't even longlisted. Um, I know him. He's the chair of Labour Northwest. You don't like him? Um, well, it's, it's not about whether I like or, or don't. I don't agree with his politics. I don't agree with his style of doing politics. I did see him operate when he was a much younger man. I mean, we're going back eight, nine years now, and I thought he was strong-arming some young people to go and vote in a conference, and I thought, I don't like the way that you're behaving. That seems quite intimidating with a man your size, the way you're speaking to younger people. But anyway, so I do know him, and he's, he's employed doing a paid job for Unison, the trade union to wave flags at rallies or do whatever they do. He works for the Labour MP Charlotte Nichols, apparently sometimes as well. Now here's the thing. He lost his seat on Tameside council in the Ashton Hurst ward where Angela Rayner lives. And this is where the story gets quite interesting. So out campaigning in Bolton Northeast at the weekend was Angela Rayner, the deputy leader of the Labour party back home in the Northwest for the weekend, decides to go out campaigning on Saturday morning, as lots of Labour politicians will do. But very pointedly, in those pictures, in those selfies, getting a great response on the doorstep, was Lee Drennan, her friend. So of all the council elections in the country she could go out on the stump for, she chooses this one with that man. Bolton, if I'm honest, and saying it's about campaigning for the local elections, in Labour circles, Bolton is sort of regarded as a bit of a lost cause that independents and um, and the Tories have got a bit of a stranglehold on it. And really, it would have made much more sense for her to go out in Stockport, where she's from, where she's got lots of friends like, like Elise, who we've um, had on this podcast, or Berry, which is a much tighter race. But she is definitely on manoeuvres. She's clearly calculating that this is a candidate worth sticking her neck out for in this kind of little bit of a war behind the scenes about who's Labour's candidates for the next general election. So it's probably worth having a bit of a recap on that. Yeah, but I think a couple of things. I think that that seat that uh, he's trying to contest, I think the Conservatives won that with quite a small majority as well, which is yeah. why which yeah. is why Labour have identified that as a must-win seat if they're going to uh, win the next election as well. Uh, and I think I'm right in saying that the entire uh, committee to to appoint the next Labour the uh, next Labour candidate has resigned on mass. Yep, they in have yeah. protesters. What's happened? Yeah, that's happened in other 
constituencies as well, where they see that the Labour head office are imposing a shortlist on them without their approval. And they're refusing to take part in the process as a result. I think what's interesting with Angela Rayner is she knows her actions pit her at direct odds with Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party. So she's clearly on manoeuvres. You agree I, with me then? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I saw that, and it's the sort of thing actually that hasn't got uh, a lot of coverage outside of like Labour List and other, you know, um, other news sites and websites like that. Um, but she knows that's going to put them at odds. And, and Keir Starmer, I thought the point you made, you know, the insight, is that there's a very good chance Labour will win the next election as well. But it's unlikely they'll win with a huge majority, which means that he's got to get rid of the awkward squad. squad mm-hmm. And he would fall into that category I thought what was interesting was the involvement of two Northern MPs you mentioned one Charlotte Nichols in Warrington who he who, works for yeah 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 who, yeah, yeah. who I interviewed um, recently at an event in Warrington as well uh, she's only young um, but uh, came across very well uh, Mick Whiteley um, he's a Liverpool MP Nichols called it and I quote one of the most blatantly factional examples of abuse of the process I've seen in the 15 years or so I've been a party member Whiteley said it raises questions about the integrity of the selection process so they are putting them themselves at odds with Keir Starmer. Um, Angela Rayner is pitting herself at odds with the leader as well. Um, according to the guide on Saturday, you mentioned it earlier, Drennan is an aide to um, the quote, Jeremy Corbyn supporting Warrington North MP Charlotte Nichols as well. Yes. I just think it's fascinating because the, because the Labour Party are in the box seat to win the next general election. And here's a situation where um, they there is a division within a section of the Labour Party. I get the sense that Keir Starmer wants to deal with it now rather than you know 18 months time when the election's upon us yep agreed i think we're agreed on that one we are agreed yeah, but we're not agreed on the next one right who else do you think then is on maneuvers well what i like to do with on maneuvers is i like to look through various twitter feeds and find out who's up to uh, a few shenanigans so i thought i'd have a quick look at um uh, dominic raab now dominic raab is the beleaguered deputy prime minister and the justice secretary um i think he's on maneuvers now the reason i think he's on maneuvers for is because he is got his back to the wall big start and he knows it he's been investigated over allegations of bullying complaints from at least 24 civil servants which he strongly denies he's currently being investigated by a senior lawyer called alan tolly q uh, uh casey, casey. what, what is yeah, casey yeah. Stand for is that King Council? King's Council? Yeah. Of course it will be. Of course it will be. Not QC anymore. Oh, do you know? Um, you know the Queen died. Right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do know the Queen died as well, actually. Um, but yeah, um, the uh, Casey King's um, Council. Now, Rob has said virtually nothing while this investigation has been going on and it's really interesting to watch PMQs and uh, Keir Starmer tear strips off him and he's having to look ahead and give nothing away with this icy glaze I don't like Rob I don't like the way he deals with other people as well he broke ranks last week he did an interview with the Telegraph uh, very very rare for that um, during what's happened now this is a charm offensive by Rob now charm offensive is not a phrase that I use uh, very often in association with Dominic Rob he told the Telegraph I'm confident I have behaved professionally at all times and I will engage with the inquiry and of course I would not want to say anything which prejudiced it um, what's interesting is the Telegraph then ran a column headlined if Dominic Ribe is a bully so is Paddington Bear now the reason they came up with that headline for is that apparently Paddington Bear has a habit of staring and one of the complaints being levelled at Dominic Ribe by civil servants is he has this propensity to stare at them um, I think Ribe knows he's under pressure I think he's trying to say to the world and to the investigation, yes, I'm direct and I probably was rude, but I wasn't a bully. What doesn't help him is former Sun editor Kelvin McKenzie, uh, cheerleader for Lee Anderson and general renter quote, writing a piece in The Spectator entitled Dominic Ribe is a Bully and I Should Know. Kelvin McKenzie is the worst form of journalism. 
going. He's horrendous. Um, do you think Dominic Raab is on manoeuvres? Um, not really. I don't think you quite grasp what the term means, but I think in the context of, yeah, so if he's doing interviews with Daily Telegraph, maybe we, maybe I can just allow that one under the radar. Just to be absolutely clear, Kelvin McKenzie's quote was, Dominic Raab is no bully and I should know. Right? Mm. Just to be clear. Yeah. I'm not sure you said that. Oh, what did I say? Did I say something don't different? Don't matter. Okay, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what you meant. That's yeah? what, absolutely, to be absolutely what I meant. clear. Yeah. Anyway, it's time for an interval. Welcome back to the third and final part of Northern Spin, episode one of season three. Now, we've both had a busy week, Michael. Um, what have you been up to? Well, we had tech, I had loads of tech events early in the week, encroaching onto your territory. My first was a roundtable as business desk editor. Um, oh, sorry, I did my first roundtable as business desk editor. I went to a roundtable with the skills minister, Paul Scully, although he didn't actually turn up. I did a property event in Manchester. And uh, yeah, man, as I say, my first roundtable. Skills and talent retention is still a big issue. How we work, I'd like to throw out a very special thanks as well to Helen White from Marketing Stockport, who I know listens to this podcast. She spoke at our property event on Thursday as a very late stand-in. And we had a fascinating discussion about place building um, with a great panel of people. Really, really great, great event. I was delighted how that all went. And you've been doing a few events as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I've also been taking fashion tips off, uh, off your good self as well. I think I need to have a new look. Did you see Sam Smith at the Brit Awards? Oh, absolutely yeah. yeah i'm going to uh i'm going to come to the next pod dressed like that i think that will be uh i think that will really be eye-opening um i don't know what he's up to he talks about not wanting attention and then dresses up like an inflatable bin bag so what um, events have you been hosting well i hosted one in liverpool it was the 2023 liverpool city climbers event at the atmospheric love lane brewery love the name love the atmosphere um it's in the baltic triangle which is where a lot of the tech firms are based in liverpool there were two lists the main one so it was business cloud with the media partners of 25 digital tech firms and then there was a second list of 10 firms um to watch there were two panels there were 150 people in the room there was so much energy Energy in the room, it's unbelievable. We discussed earlier the worst of Liverpool um, in relation to the uh, parking ticket scandal. This was the best of Liverpool. It was fantastic, and yeah, I recommend brilliant. it for everyone. Good. Um, I interviewed a guy who you'll know, and I was just absolutely energised by uh, being in a company of him for the morning. Brian Hay. At uh, I run a little business called Proactive Progress. It's like a mastermind business group. He was the guest speaker. Is that just good? A good news business? It's a good news business. We don't do bad proactive news. Proactive progress. Absolute proactive yeah. progress. We asked people how they've progressed <laughs> in their business career. Um, now, we started Cardinal Maritime. Oh, so he started Cardinal Maritime back in the day. He was about 26 at the time. He's in his 50s now. He borrowed 15 grand off his father-in-law. He started it with two co-founders. It, it, they are a logistics business. They've got operations all over the world. I think they employ into the hundreds now. Their turnover, I think, this year is probably going to break 500 million. Um, he's a Withenshaw boy born and bred he's very proud of his uh, upbringing as well he's passionate about supporting members of staff and people in his business as well but he still runs a successful business the point i'm making is you can do both you can be nice in business and you can be successful have you been up to anything else this week yeah i i, I um i like brian hay by the way for the record i think he's a, a 
top guy. Yeah, as well as hosting business events, I was working at Blackman Rovers last week, played Wigan Athletic. It was an absolutely dreadful game of football, nil-nil. We had a few special guests, including David May. Do you, do you know who David May is? Well, David May, obviously, famously played for Man United and was he a substitute in the 1999 Champions League? The whole thing about David May is um, he played for about te- for about nine years for Man United and he played half as many games as he did in the four years that he played for Blackburn Rovers. And as I said to him, when uh, we were walking through past the Premiership Trophy with the Rovers on it, I went, "Er, David, is what you could have won. Because <laughs> he left us when we finished second in 1993 and then the year, 94. And then the year after, he joined Man United and came second in two consecutive seasons for two different clubs. He yeah. went, it's all right, I've got a few others at home. <laughs> and the chant that United fans have for him, because he always used to really, really celebrate like with his medals and his trophies right at the front, really hard to leave, though he'd had very little to do with it. And their song is David May, superstar, got more medals than Shearer. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the, the other person, though, who was there, as well as Lewis Travis, the Blackburn Rovers captain, uh, someone you'll know, Liam Livingston. Yeah, yeah, England, like him a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good quick. currently recovering from an injury. Yeah, he was there as part of his rehabilitation. Um, but also there was Tez Ilias, a comedian who was on uh, Friday night at the Apollo on Friday night, obviously. He's great. I really love Tez. If you want to get into some good old northern culture of a, of a slightly different hue, I'd encourage you to go and check out some of Tez's material. And one of the things actually on his, his whole um, repertoire is, is he talks about the term BAME which he says he hates. And he's got some great material about that. You know, like we've said before, we're a couple of white blokes. It's not for us to define these terms, but he says he hates it. Mm. He goes, lame, tame, bame. He goes, and the A in it, <laughs> it stands for and. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, given that Happy Valley's now finished, what have you been watching? Did, did you watch um, Early Doors? Setting the grapes in Stockport. I haven't watched it yet, but you've recommended it to me. It's on my list of things, but I stumbled across another programme at the weekend, which I really loved. I mentioned it before, actually, on uh, ITVX uh, about uh, Litvinenko. It was uh, it was brilliant. It's about it's a true story based on uh, Alexander Litvinenko. was a Russian spy, came to the UK. He was poisoned in a London hotel. Uh, he accused Vladimir Putin of being responsible, literally on his deathbed. David Tennant plays Litvinenko in the first episode. Um, it's just a... A phenomenal piece of TV. Uh, it's really, really scary as well because you see the mm. lengths that Russia goes to and uh, Vladimir Putin goes to. We spoke a bit about, you know, uh, Ukraine and the situation in Ukraine, and you just realised actually, you know, you are dealing with somebody who will do anything to hold power. Um, I have mentioned recently that uh, I've, I've been going to the cinema. Me and Mrs M have been deciding that we want to go to the cinema on a more regular basis. So uh, we went to watch a film called Plane uh, with Gerald Butler. Interesting character Gerald Butler because he's he's actually a Scottish actor he's lived a lot in America so his accent fluctuates between being American and Scottish several times in the same scene as well completely implausible but an enjoyable film I enjoyed that one as well so here's my theory about Gerald Butler so when I visual when I've read the, all the Jack Reacher books which I know you have as well I think he would be, make a much better Jack Reacher than Tom Cruise but then they did a mini series of one of his books recently on I think it's on Amazon Prime. And I thought whoever they cast in that was a much more plausible Jack Reacher. 
Well, I thought Jack, anyway, I thought Jared Butler would make a better one than Tom Cruise anyway. Lee Charles was very angry about that. I'm on book number 10 at the moment, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, incidentally, you are right about his premise. You know, he, he kills a lot of people and he goes to bed with the uh, female character in the book uh, and then he goes on to the next uh, storyline. That's the premise of every single story, but I do enjoy it. But um, what, what did Lee Child not like? Well, Lee Charles, in terms of, you mentioned earlier about, um, in terms of the character that he wanted to play, uh, and and the main character in uh, in the Reacher, Jack Reacher, six foot five, uh, and Tom Cruise is I think five foot nine, and he doesn't like that. And he's 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 got a crew cut. He's very imposing. He's got a uh, yeah. he, and and he doesn't like the fact yeah. that uh, you know clearly Cruise is six foot nine. It's uh, five foot nine. <laughs> okay, right. So um, the other thing I've been doing last night was our uh, music therapy show. On it's available on demand, and we did a special gothic special. You know, for Valentine's Day. Oh, I love goths. <laughs> It was inspired by a new book coming out soon by Manchester writer John Robb, originally from Blackpool, and it's called The Art of Darkness. Chris, were you ever a goth? Never a goth, but I was a big fan of Roy Orbison, as you know, and he always <laughs> used to wear black, which is as close as I get to being a goth. So you didn't like Joy Division, The Damned, Depeche Mode, The Manics, Sisters of Mercy, Bauhaus, uh, I've Susie heard, and the Banshees? I think I've heard of one of them. Yeah, okay. Right, I think on that note, we better just quit while we're ahead. You've been listening to episode one of season three of Northern Spin. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a review. Give us a five-star review. If it, all, it all really, really helps. Tell your friends, your family to give us a listen. And don't forget to press the subscribe button. We're doing really well at the moment, aren't we, on numbers? 38% yeah. up. Yeah, good. Follow us on Twitter at Northern underscore Spin One. Watch us on YouTube. And thank you, as ever, to What Media for recording the podcast, to Oscar Technology and Lily Shippen for their sponsorship, and to Elliot Taylor for providing the music. My name, as ever, is Michael Taylor. And my name, as ever, is Good News, Chris McGuire. <laughs>